I wish the church would, in today's world, that are, I, I wish that we would validate people's feelings before we start prescribing what needs to happen. Mm. Right? I mean, just like, just sit with people mm. in their pain. Let's quit over spiritualizing having the answers and understand there are some things that for there to be faith, you don't have an answer. Yeah. And I'm not going to check my brain at the door. Given my life to teaching theology, but theology is I have a God that is bigger than I can understand. Mm. And so I'm just sorry. I'm sorry that you hurt. I'm sorry when you lose a child. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, bad things happen and I have no answer for why it happens, but I'll sit with you till you quit hurting. Welcome to The Purpose Podcast. My name is Rachel, and I'm here with my husband, Zach, and our special guest today. And we really do believe that God has destined you for a purpose, and that is to be in relationship with Him and to win your world. So wherever you're listening to this podcast today, it is going to be so, so good, and you're going to want to share it. So any platform that you can find a podcast, you can find The Purpose Podcast. So make sure you comment questions that you have or any type of revelation that you receive during our time today. And share this with someone you think this would be helpful for. That's right. And we are here with one of our amazing friends, Toby Slough, who's not just our personal friend, but also a friend of Faith Promise. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's not going to like us talking good about him, but we'll do that. (laughs) Um, uh, But Toby really, from uh, our best understanding, is really probably the resident expert in the kingdom right now, uh, really speaking for and being a champion around mental wellness. And so we're taking some time uh, just to talk about that. We're going to take two episodes really talking uh, about mental wellness and really getting more familiar with it. But uh, Toby, just so make sure you know, you know, this is the Purpose Podcast, and we believe, we know you believe that everybody's purpose, first of all, we've been given one, but the one that we all share is to win our world, to win our world to Jesus by knowing what is next to our walk with God and who is next for us to impact for the world. But not everybody has the privilege of knowing you yet like we do. So will you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your story and family? Yeah, my wife, Micah, who's sitting outside of camera shot, as she normally does. Is, and I've been married 38 years. It's weird that she's out of, she's so much prettier she, than well, you that's, are. Well, that's and not we have a high Elon bar yeah. right there. She has hair, so she takes <laughs> one step. Oh <laughs> We've been married 38 years. And awesome. I have two kids that are both married, have most importantly five grandchildren that uh, we enjoy this season of life. I pastored local churches for 35 years, stepped out of my role as lead pastor about a year and a half ago, and we launched a ministry called Gobi Ministries that's all about giving tools to families and individuals so they can connect to God's power in the middle of these issues. Right. So everybody, I would say that most people want to have an impact on the world, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And there's fun things you could pick. There's fitness influencers out there. There's there's uh, food bloggers out yes. there. So like you could pick these really fun things. The one that you've picked doesn't seem as fun. So could you tell us about how your journey to how God made you a champion for mental wellness? Yeah. You know, as you talk about everyone having a purpose, I don't really think you get to pick your purpose. Mm-hmm. I think your purpose picks you. Yeah. And uh, 27 years ago, I was diagnosed with an anxiety and panic disorder, which is always interesting to talk about because even your generation, it's hard to think about a time that we weren't talking about mental health, right? But back then, nobody talked about it. And so I started a journey of discovery of really 
understanding that uh, I, I, I knew that I was called to win my world, but I felt like I was losing. Yeah. And uh, understanding what freedom really was. Went public talking about it uh, on some international Christian TV shows uh, and kind of became known as the guy that was the specialist when it came to mental health, something I never wanted, honestly. Right. I fought it for years. I mean, who wants that? To, like you said, I, I want to be known for the faith guy right. or pick something. But that's what God chose for me. And there was a season where I looked at Micah and said, hey, man, this is my calling. This is who, this is what God has given me, and this is the way that I can win people to Jesus and always have had an evangelistic heart. I was much better evangelist than a pastor is what I've always felt. Yeah. And uh, having no idea that a pandemic would hit and that this would become, as I told you know, the staff here today, this is the Chicago fire of our generation. Yeah. So people are hurting and they're looking for answers and the best they can find on Amazon are fidget spinners and weighted blankets. Right, right. And so I'm trying to send a message of I don't think I'm better than anybody. I just have discovered something better. Right, that's right? so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it has just built and built and built, really having no idea this is what I was going to do. Yeah. But seeing the way that people who don't know Jesus are coming to meet Jesus and people who have known Jesus a long time finding out there's more for them has been pretty exhilarating. Yeah, to help to help people have a better understanding because uh, you've thought about it more than most of us. You've mm-hmm. lived in it. You know, may, Maybe there's people watching this or listening to this who've walked in it as long as you have, but... You reference, hey, it's the Chicago Fire of our gener- of, of our generation. What what's that mean? So t- just just a, well, what's the Chicago Fire, and then how how is it? You know what I'm saying? I don't want the severity of what you're saying it is to be lost on anybody. Yeah, pre-pandemic, I'll give you some stats, and then I'll give you some anecdotes. Pre-pandemic, 32 percent of children between the ages of eight and 18 were showing some signs of anxiety panic, or generally feeling overwhelmed by life, symptomatically. It rose to 60% after the pandemic, and it's risen 15% since it rose 60%. The the American Medical Association two months ago came out with a report saying that for the first time in the history of America, uh, adolescents, teenagers, there are more reports of mental health issues than physical health issues. Wow. Hey, Rachel, 500 high school kids a day in this country are being admitted to a hospital, not mm. visiting, admitted for mental health issues. So oh. those are stats. Those are numbers. And then, you know, I was asked to speak to a group of pastors in Mumbai, India, and I thought it was going to be a little network. I knew about 30 pastors, and they called and said, hey, uh, others are asking to come. And I had mm. over 300 pastors on a two-and-a-half-hour call saying, our kids, our adults, they're all struggling with this. We don't know what to do. Yeah. So it, we think sometimes pretty narrow uh, of the, you know, not the world, but our world. And it's not an American problem. You know, we've launched in Latin America. We launched in Spanish in Costa Rica uh, about six, eight months ago. Yeah. And the people that just were coming out of the woodwork yeah. that are looking for answers. This is a This is a world issue that we're going to have to tackle at some point. Yeah. So you're see you feel like you're, we're seeing it around the world. It's not just a North America issue. No, it's not a it, it doesn't matter race, it doesn't matter gender, it doesn't matter financial state. Mm. It, it it is no respecter of persons. 
Here's what happened, Zach. So you have a pandemic that we've never been through before. Everybody is uncertain. You guys were uncertain. Micah and I were uncertain. Uh, and so we're talking about it, but there's there, like, we're not in the healthiest of places. It's just, we're living in uncertainty. And all of a sudden we have kids that are uncertain, but we're not noticing that our kids are as uncertain as they are because we're uncertain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Everyone's kind of in coping mechanism. I have a grandson. He went to kindergarten, gets on the, our first grade, went, got on the bus. His mom wanted him to show who, what, tell me about the kids in your class. He said, I don't know. They're all wearing masks. Mm -hmm. He was told every day when he went on the bus, don't touch that kid, stay this far away. Uh, all the things they had to do so nobody would die. Mm -hmm. So you tell me, what does that do to a first grader? Yeah. Who's, de who's at that area developed? It's like, it's a perfect storm. It's just this soup of uncertainty and angst. And that I think that's why it's happening the way it's happening is we haven't recovered from it. We are, we're a nation, talk about our nation of PTSD right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was reading an article um, from the World Health Organization that talked about some of the things that had that spurred where we are, and they listed loneliness, the mm -hmm. fear of infection, suffering, and death for oneself and for loved ones, and then grief after yep. loved ones have died, and then the financial stress of not knowing if you can yep. work, and then not being able to work, right. and then being told, now you have no purpose because you are not necessary to see forward movement. So there's all of these things that really triggered the the health crisis that we're in now. Yes. And I think about specifically our generation, I, I, I think about millennials, how now we are raising this next generation of children. And millennials are a generation that are existed in being overwhelmed since childhood. Mm -hmm. I mean, you start thinking about 9-11, you think about the introduction of the internet, um, you know, housing crisis, the recession of 08, pandemic, and now there's a, I mean, recession, if not future depression, at the peak time of where we're supposed to be uh, in our careers. Right. And as someone who feels overwhelmed at just that state of life, you talk about having something beyond even that. And I want for, for people to understand for a second, we feel overwhelmed because the world can just be overwhelming. But what you talk about walking through and experiencing is more than just, um, hey, I have these reasons to be anxious right. or concerned. And for some people listening, it is very difficult to imagine or empathize or have compassion for people who maybe they don't have those reasons, but there is literally something that causes them to come to that place. Could you describe for those of us listening, what does it mean to have that panic and anxiety disorder? And what does it feel like when you're in the middle of one of those moments? Yeah, it's that is such an insightful question. You know, if we could get this right and change the language around this question, mm. uh, I think so much would shift because I, I I worry at times. Worry is when my problems get big and God gets small. Yeah, uh, and there are times that uh, I feel anxious, but that's not panic and anxiety. Panic and anxiety in a disorder is at some level genetic. You can see it traced through my family. 
Uh, you see it handed down through my family, and at some level, it's chemical. Uh, there, there is a chemical reaction in the neuroelasticity of the synopsis of your brain yeah. where there's basically a short that comes. A lot of times it comes because the anxiety uh, wears you down chemically, physically, that gets to you chemically, but it's not outside related. In other words, I'm familiar with it because I know what it's like to be anxious or to panic for no reason at all. Mm-hmm. You just make something up. There, there's no extenuating circumstances. Right. So the frustrating thing for people who are depressed, have a depressive disorder or an anxiety disorder is that we use language around external reasons. There are reasons to be anxious at times. There are reasons to be worried at times, and you give it to God, and there's things you can do. But for those of us who have a disorder, a, a, a panic attack comes for no reason at all, with no warning at all. It comes, I call it the wave, and when it comes, you kind of feel like you're losing control of your body a little bit. You, 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 uh, your heart begins to beat fast. You usually sweat a lot. Your hands are shaking, and it's uh, it's just unnerving. You know, you, you feel very unnerved in the moment. And there's some breathing techniques you can do. There's some ways you can cope in that moment, but you can't keep it from happening. Hmm. It, it's not – I have men that come to me and say, hey, man, I'm fighting anxiety. Well, what's wrong? Well, my wife had a – she was diagnosed with cancer, and I'm going to lose my job. Well, you're a human being. You ought to be anxious. I think of a reason to be anxious that's not rational. There's nothing bad happening in my life. And it just happens. And that a lot of people that have depression, it's an illness, right? And it's not – so the things that I teach, what I've discovered is whether you're me, where you're on that end of the spectrum, or whether you're someone who's just battling some depression or some anxiety in the world you live in, the things we teach are the things I think that can help people on either end of the spectrum. Mm. But I've been on medication – uh, and there was a season I needed to because my body would not, this, the chemicals weren't, like those synopsis weren't firing. Mm-hmm. And when they're not firing, you, 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 you've got to have some medication to get those right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not everybody needs to be on medication all the time. But the right. medication isn't a substitute for the other things that I need to continue to do to be as healthy as I can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, not everybody struggles with anxiety and depression, but I think that this next question everybody can resonate with. So you've been a, how long have you been pastoring in the local church? 35 years. So 35 years. I mean, you're, you're a faithful man of God. There has to be, um, you had to have wrestled with the Lord over this. You know, I think everybody has, maybe one or multiple areas that they wanted deliverance from or they wanted God to move, right? How do you how do you hold in conjunction that God loves you and has a plan for you but wouldn't take this from you, you know? I, I know that goes maybe I've heard you talk about your life first. Maybe that's where you want to go from that. But, you know, even people who are listening, and which we'll talk about this too, who maybe they don't struggle with this, but they there's people in their lives and how but before that, just something for everybody. What do you do whenever there's, I mean, there, there's this thing you want God to move in so desperately? Now, a lot of people lose their faith over it, but you, you haven't. So what's your outlook on the Lord with that, you know, with this, I mean, for a lack of a better term, this burden still in your life? Yeah, it's easier to talk about now than it was then, right? Then I went through a crisis of faith. It's like, well, if God's not going to do this now— uh, if he's not real in this instant, where else was he real? 
And I wrestled with my faith, which, by the way, I think everybody deconstructs. The problem is a lot of deconstructionists stop at deconstructing and never begin yeah. to reconstruct. That's good, yeah. And uh, so I would had to deconstruct some things that I had always believed. Yeah, I didn't really go after the power and the spirit of God aspect of my faith until, you know, I was out of options. And I thought there's got to be more than That's to what. That's big right yeah. there. Yeah. Because it, it would be worth it. The struggle would be worth it if it pushed you into pursuing God's power. Right. Whereas if before you you wouldn't have had a reason to, you know. Yeah, I, I grew up hearing this. The Holy Spirit is found. He only works through the Word. You just need to read the Bible more. That's basically what I was told, which, as you know me, you guys know me, like being an, an emotion, emotive guy, that never sat well with me. And I'm like, well, why is it what happened in the Bible happening today? Right. Yeah. And so I told my wife, this sounds so ridiculous, but it was like, I'm going to go figure out the Holy Spirit. And so mm-hmm. I just started going to every conference that had the word blood or, you know, in it, victory, fire. And, Water, oil. Yeah. And I'm kind of a, you know, a Holy Spirit rubberneck. If it's weird, I want to see it. You know, it's like, let's have a rodeo, man. I mean, you know, it didn't scare me. You yeah. and Rachel. I loved it. And so yeah, I went all over the place. But in the middle of that, you know, here was I, I got in a huge fight with my counselor. He asked me, how, how many times can you have a panic attack a month and be okay? And I said, none. And we went on for an hour. He went from, a okay, once a quarter, you know, to I basically said, look, man, I'm going to go find another counselor if you're telling me there's a chance that I'll never have a panic attack again. And he said, well, your pride issue is bigger than your panic issue. Hmm. Which... You know, I needed to hear, but it, that's really where my journey began to shift to, okay, what if there's something else than never having a panic attack? What, what, if, what if it connected me to God's power in a way that I would have never gotten connected without it, which mm-hmm. came, brought me to the place of redefining freedom? Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12 is what really did it. Yeah. Thorn in the flesh, I prayed, God said no, and I went, Wow. I mean, there's power in Paul's life, and yeah. he never got released from that. Right. And so that was a 10-, 15-year journey. Here's was my fear, though, Rachel, was not that I would have, say, a panic attack, but it would define my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want people feeling sorry for me. Yeah. I got tired of people trying to fix me. Uh, I still get a little angry when people send me emails about, here's a podcast you need to watch or a diet you need to start. Yeah, it's like, hey, man, I didn't ask you to fix me. <laughs> But uh, it's and I I still ask God to heal me every day. But I got to the place where I didn't need Him to heal me to believe He was real. Yeah, and so I I ask Him to lift that off of me on a regular basis, especially when it's tough. But if He does, that's great. And if He doesn't, His grace is sufficient. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to do some crazy things that I never would have gotten to do. Uh, if it wouldn't have been for this burden that I feel. But I know that's not everybody's story. I want to be really respectful of people yeah. who, you know, ha- had a, a family member that had a disease, and well, why didn't God heal them? I don't know. It's just at some point you have to decide, is God good or not? Yeah. Like, is he really for me? And if he's for me, then I don't have to understand it mm-hmm. to embrace it. Yeah, that's so good. Well, I think um, one of the... I issues that has made some of that conversation so difficult to have is because we've been afraid to have those conversations because when the answer is no, 
we feel like then God isn't near or present. Right. And you talked a little bit about, um, you know, over the weekend, you had shared about how God is near even when we're suffering. And this is something that I I know I, my generation in general, we struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we didn't necessarily learn how to suffer with Jesus. I remember going to, Zach and I had walked through a season that was super difficult and I was just really grieving and I knew I was grieving and I felt like I had been grieving too long. And so I went and I was talking to my counselor and she said, hey, have you ever lamented? And I had never lamented, didn't know what, I was like, I read Lamentations. And she said, that's not it. And it's basically the, just like writing down with God, but saying, hey, here's, here's my struggle. Lord, this is who you are. And you're with me in the middle of it. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about what the conversation for you has been around mental wellness and how some of it may have been helpful or hurtful? And then what are some things you're seeing change or you wish would change as we talk about it now? Yeah, I got really hurt, man. Like people I love hurt me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well-intentioned people. Yeah. I've learned that intention doesn't really matter. Yeah, right. Uh, it was painful. And w- when when you feel less than because you're battling and people confirm less than through the pray harder, trust God more, uh, just quit believing that, don't think like that. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't have the energy to fight in that season. Yeah. I don't want to fight with somebody, but it's just so I just slink away. And I think for mm-hmm. so long the message around suffering has been, well, you did something. If you just didn't do that and started doing this, you wouldn't suffer. And man, I have I've I feel like I'm a pretty resilient guy, and it's only because I've had so much resistance. It's yeah. because I've had to stand up and speak and teach and minister when I wasn't in a good place. And I refuse to let it define me. Even when people would try to defend me and love me and I, oh, he's in a tough spot right now. We will need, no, I'm, I'm, this is my call. I'm going to do it. And so I wish the church would, in today's world, that are, I, I wish that we would validate people's feelings before we start prescribing what needs to happen. Mm. Right? I mean, just like, just sit with people mm. in their pain. Let's quit over-spiritualizing having the answers and understand there are some things that for there to be faith, you don't have an answer. Yeah. And I'm not going to check my brain at the door. I've given my life to teaching theology, but theology is I have a God that is bigger than I can understand. Mm. And so I'm just sorry. I'm sorry that you hurt. I'm sorry when you lose a child. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm like bad things happen and I have no answer for why it happens, but I'll sit with you till you quit hurting. Yeah. That's so good. I'll be there. I'm, I'm, I'll outlast your pain with you. Mm-hmm. That's what I need. I don't need four verses on how to not feel this way anymore. Well, we resist discomfort yeah. so much. And so even when we have our own feelings of being overwhelmed or uncomfortable to sit with somebody else in theirs is you have to die to yourself mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Um, I uh, I just, I love that, that we just have to sit with people, be present. Um, one of the things that we talk about is we love God and we 
love people. And one of the things, one of the ways we love people is by making room for them. And when you make room for someone, we don't just make room for their physical person. Like we're not just going to make a seat for them. We're not going to make a place for them to just do things, but we're going to make room for them to walk through whatever they're walking through and wrestling um, with in the moment. And that's, but that requires us to walk in our own security and lay ourselves down to make room for someone else. I, um, so can you tell me how do I love somebody that's Mm -hmm. walking? I have people in my life that I desperately love that wrestle deeply. Um, my, what she went, mommy sharing it, my mom who was experienced depression for a lot of my childhood and, um, was medicated for a season and was delivered from needing medication. And we were talking in the car about um, you being here the other day. And she said, you know, God never told me I would never be depressed again. He just said, I'm never going to need medicine again. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about what it feels to be depressed. And she described it as um, you wake up and you just wake up one day and it's like you're walking through mud mm-hmm. and everybody else is operating normally. Nothing has changed in the world, but you just all of a sudden are are tr- are trudging forward and you don't understand why everybody else can just walk normal and you can't. Mm-hmm. And um, how do we love people in our life when that's not our struggle? Mm-hmm. You know, we have, mo- have, I've had moments of struggle. I've, I've walked through some postpartum depression, but it's not the same. And how and I'm loved differently mm-hmm. than other people. So how how do we love people who are wrestling with their mental wellness? Well, there's two there's two things. There's a question and a statement that everybody needs in that moment. The question is, how can I help you? That's a great question, mm-hmm. and let them define how you can help them. Mm-hmm. And then number two, the statement is, I will be here. And if people know, look. They need our ears more than they need our mouth most mm-hmm. of the time. It's the concept of a that I think honestly is lost in your generation. I talk to my kids about it all the time. It, it's it's the discipline of showing up, whether it's a funeral, yeah, you know, uh, whether it's a important event. Just your presence means more than anything you say. And yeah. so, if you don't avoid like your mom, if you don't avoid your mom when she's in that season, but you show up and you're continually asking her, how can I help you? Even in some of her responses, you know, Micah, for me, so many times, and you're in a no-win situation. I understand part of that from your side because Micah would, I needed her to remind me of things that were true, but my response to her was, well, I know that. Right. But I still, I would tell her, but just keep telling me, but just keep telling me, right? And so you, when you ask, how can I help, and she says, well, there's nothing you can do for me because I'm always going to feel this way. Well, can we consider the possibility that you could get better? You know, Or here's something I read about some ways that you could, uh, when you're depressed, it can help you move through that a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You, it, you giving that to her first mm-hmm. gives her an opportunity to own the situation. See, when she's depressed or when I'm anxious, I feel yeah. out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So now you're taking even more of my control by coming and saying, here's what we're going to do. That's there right. are moments for that. There's moments when people are at a certain place that Mike is like, you know what we're going to do? You're going to get your butt up. We're mm-hmm. going to go We're going to go take a walk. Well, I don't want to take a walk. Well, I didn't ask you if that's what you wanted. Right. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. times for that, but those times are few and far between, and you earn the right to do that by showing up. Yeah. So your presence is the greatest. It's the greatest. And I think that's helpful as we listen and, and as a body of believers learn how to 
love people well is to be present with mm-hmm. them. And that's hard because you're busy all yeah. the time. Your schedule is crazy. If you got kids, their schedule is crazy. Um, but I, I want us to be a people who honor what God's asked us to do which is to do life together. And I, I really enjoyed when you were talking about Jesus in his most distressed state, um, his response was, I can't do this alone. Mm-hmm. And he called for, you know, he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he calls for his three friends to come and pray with him. And um, I want to be the person that somebody could say, I'm, I'm in my darkest moment. Would you come just sit with me? And you know how you'll become that person long term? is that you're vulnerable with people about your struggle. Mm. You know why people call me? Because they know I'm in process. Mm-hmm. They don't call me because I have the answers. Right. They've heard me say, hey, this I'm in the not yet moment. God hasn't healed me yet. I told our staff here today at Faith Promise, hey, man, a couple of weeks ago I had a panic attack. Mm-hmm. Had two young ones come talk to me. It wasn't because I had the answers because – that opens a door for your presence right. when you're willing to say, this is me too. This is a battle for me yeah. as well. And one of the ways I know whether I'm being appropriately vulnerable to people is, well, do they ask me? When they're hurting, mm-hmm. am I someone they think of calling? me? Right. Mm-hmm. That's good. You said, and I, maybe I missed it, so there's a question and a statement. The mm-hmm. question was, what can I do for you? What was the statement? The statement is, I will be here. Okay. The power is showing up. Yeah, I, I'm going to be here. Yeah. Uh, I may not have the answers. We may just sit here watching TV, have some music on, whatever, but I'm going to be here. You can count on me to stay. Most people leave, and it's because right. of what Rachel said. It's not that they don't love the person. It's like sitting in the tension of that. If you yeah. haven't sat in your own tension, you can't sit in someone else's. Right. It makes yeah, you yeah. uncomfortable, man. Like the tension, like I love you. If yeah. you're hurting and I can't fix you, like, come on, man. At his core, it's all about it. I mean, as much as I care about you, I don't want it. I don't like not feeling good about me because I right. can't help you. Yeah. And so I have to continually go, no, Lord, this is about how can I be here for him? How can yeah. I be here for him? And that's a huge part. Your presence is such a powerful, it's, it's beyond description what someone's presence at a hospital bed saying nothing means to a person who's yeah. sick. Yeah, that's huge. So one of the things we want to talk a little bit about, and I think this would be a great segue into some of the resources Mm -hmm. that you guys have created and you're going all over the the nation with, but what are some of the the skills that we need to develop, you know, strong mentally? Like what, what, what are some of the skills or even resources that we need to be able to grow strong minds, not just in ourselves, but also with our kids, with our friends? So what would you say are some of the top things that people need if they want uh, if they want to be mentally right and which obviously is is very connected spiritually strong in this way. Yeah, you you do understand that covertly I'm just trying to teach people how to disciple one another. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean this is real right, yeah. in this language. So identity is at the top of the list. This is where you're going to battle. What's wrong with me? Uh I must. There must be something wrong with me. Is the little voice in most people's head? What did I do wrong? Right. Uh, is a part of tragedy, whether it's physical or m- mm-hmm. mental. You know, and so the answer to that is identity. Yeah. It's who does God say that I am? And so the forty I am's 
versions for kids, versions for adults, uh, versions for your phone, versions for your desktop. I mean, we've come up with so many ways that you can begin to use the 40 AMs. In fact, the one in the one we just released, because I want parents to feel so empowered. I made 40 videos that said like, like I'm talking to your child. Hey, repeat after me. I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of the King. Hey, did you know that if your mom ordered a pizza store, you could have all the pizza you wanted and it would only be because your mom, you know, and so I just looked for examples so that either you could play it for your child or you could listen to it and go, oh, no, here would be better for my kid. They like ice cream. So I'm yeah. going to say, hey, do you know this? I, th- I think the 40 items are so powerful. And we'll put a link yeah. in, the, in the notes for people to be able to go and, and be able to yeah. get get all that. But it just there, there's, which I, I'm using it this year in my personal growth plan, just repetition and yes. declaring things. But um, I, I think that we can think that's a little rudimentary it sometimes, is. right? Most of this is rudimentary. Yeah. So, but tell us about like how you got to, again, you're, you're, a, you're a pastor, preaching every week, growing mm-hmm. a great church, and yet one of the most impactful th- things for you over the years has been these 40 I Am statements. So how did, how did that become a reality in your life, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then why is, why, it wasn't just a momentary time, like you've continued it and it's continued to help you get stronger. So how did you get it, right? And then, and then why do you feel like it's continued to help you? Yeah, I got it because I was struggling. And I think, Rachel, talking about some of what you guys have been through, you'll get this. You get, you, your brain gets in this loop that it's hard to get out of. Yeah. I have OCD that when I'm really tired gets heightened. And the other night, about three weeks ago, Mike and I had been traveling like nine out of 11 days and we're watching a TV show and a word came up and it was a word that I have a little hard time spelling. For the next 30 minutes, I couldn't quit spelling it in my head. No big deal, right? But it's like, oh wow, I've got OCD right now. I need to get some rest and I've got to break the cycle. Yeah. Right. So it's the dumbest thing to say to somebody who's in a cycle or who's depressed or is don't think about it. That's right. dumb. If I yeah. couldn't, it's like telling somebody who's trying to lose weight, well, don't eat chocolate cake. Right. I love chocolate cake. Yeah. Oh. So if I tell you not to eat chocolate cake long enough, your face is going to be in a chocolate cake. Mm. I'm going to tell you to replace it with something else. Right. So for me, when I was in the loop 18 years ago, I called a pastor friend that you and I both know yeah. and said, I'm in a loop. You got any ideas? And he said, the 40 I am's. And I wrote them on a card. It's rudimentary, yeah, but it's Huge. deeply theologically correct that our faith is verbal. Yeah, we say things out loud. I felt like an idiot saying it out loud, but you know, again, it's theologically deep in that yeah. man. I, I need to speak things. It's why I love worship. I'm saying things. I couldn't catch my breath today when we sang about I speak Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's my prayer before I get up. Man, I just Jesus, let me speak you over people. Yeah. So I wrote those things down on a card and took them to that from for 17 years. They've gone everywhere I go, all over the world. Anywhere I've been, I don't go travel without those cards because I know that that is my first line of defense. Yeah. What I wish, like all of us wish, is I wish when I was seven and battling this, I would have had that tool in my tool chest. Right. So what I'm proposing is let's put that tool in our tool chest with our kids no, from a right. young age that it's so deep in their DNA. Yeah. Now I can correct back to that when it's time to correct. Yeah. Uh, hey, I get this is what you did, but remember who we are. So we're going we're gonna to make sure that our position 
uh, in the kingdom overrides our condition in the moment, right? Totally. And so though that's foundational. I can't build on that until until I believe that I'm a child of the King. I'm being blessed by God. Right. Then I can't be grateful. And science shows that gratitude is connected to your mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the hardest thing to do when you're struggling mentally is to be grateful. Right. So how do I build a discipline of gratitude? Well, my dad built discipline in my house, but there was a chore list, and you had to check them off regularly. I didn't want to do it. It wasn't the greatest thing on the planet, but it built work ethic in me and responsibility in me. Yeah. So I built a gratitude chart for my kids. Yeah, that mm-hmm. we offer today, and it's it's again, it's rudimentary, but it's like no, at least three times a week, we're going to tell each other what we're grateful for. Yeah, and where where can is this? Where can everybody get these yeah, things? Yeah, on our website, beagobi.com, just b e a g o b y dot com. We have forty two of these tools that we yeah. put together. Those are two of the top tools. I, I was in the studio yesterday, your brother's studio here. I was taping uh, like seven minute lessons on how to pray for your child. People ask me that. So when my kid is hurting, how do I pray? Well, we're going to, here's a, here's a lesson on how you start with God. Here's 15 verses to pick the attributes of God. Cause you want to start with God, not with you. Yeah. We start with us and move to God. No, we start with God, move to yeah, you. So good. Right. Then, okay. Then, okay. This isn't my child. It's your child, God. So here's the things I'm asking you to do for my child because you're God and I'm not. Yeah. Right. So anyway, there, I have, Tons of these tools available, and we are continually, when you get the chance to talk to thousands of people in every culture in America, red states, blue states, mm-hmm. rich people, poor people, white right. people, people of color, and you find about seven or eight common challenges, you begin to build the simplest tools you can build to help yeah. build this into their families. Yeah. Be a Gobi. Be a Gobi.com. Yeah. When I don't want us to discount like the power of the rudimentary, right. you know, you always go back to the beginning and we, it's our pride that tells us, well, I'm better than just repeating this to myself over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talked about how you went through the lies that you, so Zach's, part of Zach's story is he went through the lies that he believed in this year. He wrote down declarations in mm-hmm. opposition to those and right. in the morning and at night, he reads those out loud like a weirdo, you know, to ourselves out loud to, you know, declaring this and changing the pattern in which his thoughts go. And you can feel like, well, I'm a grown up. I shouldn't have to do that. Right. It's not about should. I love to say don't should on yourself. Um, I heard that. Were you the one that said that? (laughs) I gave dad credit. I love that. Don't should on me. It was you. It's not about shoulding. It's about... Um, it's about operating victory and right. walking in freedom. And you said that you redefined freedom. Would you just tell us really quick what what was your definition of freedom before and what is it now? Yeah, freedom for me was the absence of things. Oh, I, I, I was sick, but now I'm well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, had, I, was, I had anxiety, but now I never have any anxiety that my definition of freedom was the absence of things Yeah. that, that, you know, I was in a prison and God took me out of that prison physically. And then, you know, Corey Timboom is one of the people that you read about. She was one of the, you know, her freedom was found in a prison cell, not outside of a prison cell. Right. Uh, and then you start reading again about Paul and I moved from 
the possibility of finding freedom in spite of the issue in my life. And so for me, a lot of it was born out of some teaching on freedom. I'd heard from several different guys and gals that I went, hang on, what, what, if, what if this was, I hate this word, give me grace, but what if this was an advantage? Mm-hmm. Like what if I empathize more with people because I'm aware of my pain? What if I know how to connect to God's power so you talk about someone not, why would I keep doing that? I do it because I know what it's like when I don't do it, right? And so freedom is, is not the absence of something. Freedom is the presence of someone in the middle of what I have. It's an unfair advantage to the concept of either, well, if you trusted God, you wouldn't get sick. Or if you really loved God, then you wouldn't have this issue. No, I love God. Mm-hmm. And because I... And one of the ways I know I love God is he gives me power in spite of that issue in my life. Yeah. Some of the greatest messages, in my opinion, the Lord ever gave me to speak were in some of my darkest moments. Yeah. I love the statement. I've heard you say a bunch. It's it's one of the ones that's going to be the most impactful for me. And then we'll leave you guys with this. And then our next conversation is just as powerful we want to have. But you've said a bunch that uh, freedom or power or, you know, all that, like this, it's not the absence of something, but it's the presence of someone. In the know? middle of something. Yeah. That's where you sense his presence, is in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. And that it makes it would make whatever that thing is you're going through worth it, you know. Again, it may, maybe it doesn't feel like that in the moment, but, you know, being able to be in his presence and sensing that reality of God, that he can be what, I mean, when we lost those babies, there was nothing that anybody could be to us right? except for, you know, God and the hope of eternity, you know, that, that in a place where nothing can ever be okay, no, nothing could ever make it okay. In, mm-hmm. in anxiety, like when you're having a panic attack, all those things, like it doesn't matter how right what somebody said is, there's nothing naturally that can be done. It's only a supernatural, you know, that, that's the only place we can find peace. Yep. And so um, I, I, this is huge. And again, I, and this, our next conversation is going to be just as powerful, but we just want to encourage you. No matter where you are or whoever's in your life, uh, we know that God has given you something in these last couple minutes uh, for you to step into your purpose, but not just you, but to help other people step into their purpose so that you and they can win their world. And so we love you so much. We're excited about what God's going to do in and through you with uh, this transformative conversation, and we'll see you next week. 